from the MBC Global Idea Committee, I'm Nicolas Bivero. Welcome to our first podcast under the MBC Pilot Event Series format. In each episode of this series, we introduce one global idea and interview a subject matter specialist of that idea. This interview will then be followed by a live and more in-depth conversation during a scheduled Zoom event. Our hope is that our listeners are able to catch the podcast and come to the live Zoom conversation with their own questions and research. We are excited for your feedback and to have you tell us if this idea and our pilot format is successful. Today we introduce artificial intelligence as our first global idea and as a business application. To kick our series off, I'm thrilled to have as a guest the CEO and founder of Thinking Machines, Stephanie C. Stanford graduate and former Google analyst Steph C. has built Thinking Machines into a highly respected data consultancy in the region, with offices in the Philippines, Thailand and Singapore, and blue chip customers across the region. Thinking Machine homegrown data team has produced AI work that has gotten published in the top global scientific journals and it's part of UNICEF Innovation Fund. Thinking Machine helps its clients to build data systems which allow them to transform the way they do business. In the Philippines, their client list includes blue-chip customers like Globe, East West Bank, Philippine Airlines and many more. And they have also worked with the World Bank and Asian Development Bank. As promised, this podcast will be followed by a March 28 Zoom call where we can interactively deep dive on artificial intelligence informed by what we hear today. Before I jump in and ask my first question, I would like to thank today's sponsor, Accenture Philippines and Anima Podcast for their production. Your company, since its foundations, has been bringing AI to the Philippines and, and you have been working with a lot of local companies and international companies and now you have offices around Asia. So what has been on a high level, basically, your overall experience in, in bringing the AI capability and in, 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 in setting up thinking machines in the Philippines? Yeah. Um, so it has been a really interesting journey where a lot of my assumptions when starting the business were wrong. So I uh, worked uh, building uh, machine learning models for companies that were already, you know, lived their whole lives in digital. They had never experienced being manual. The, the like American startups at Google, uh, everything was already on the cloud and everybody was a 25-year-old tech expert who wanted to start the next billion-dollar tech business. And that world and the way that world thinks is very different from the way this world thinks. So I, uh, a lot of the people I've worked with in the Philippines and definitely the people listening to this podcast, the audience that I'm speaking to right now, is somebody in an existing business looking for ways to unlock more value and transform their business. They already have something that works. They're already making money. They already have customers. The question for them is much more about how do I use AI to accelerate, to transform? And a big learning I have is that Machine learning and AI sounds really sexy, but you know it's the last step in the transformation journey. It's very far down. You really start with digital capabilities first, digital transformation of your internal business processes, digital channels for um, talking to your customers. Because if you don't have those digital channels, there's no point in being able to do personalized recommendations if you cannot automate it in a digital way, send those personalized recommendations out to customers. And once you do your digital transformation, you have to do your data transformation 
And those two things go hand in hand, right? Every piece of digitization creates a data point. Uh, and it is this feedback loop of um, how do you then use data that's more real time instead of waiting one quarter for your quarterly report? How do you get data on a daily basis? And then how do you act on that data in a daily basis? You don't need AI for that step, honestly. You, um, it is much more about a cloud infrastructure and data analytics and changing the culture of your organization to be able to act quickly on data. If you're getting data every day, but you're not acting on it, what's the point of getting data, right? And then once you're able to do that, then AI is really powerful. Then you start thinking about your AI capabilities because AI is an accelerant uh, in a lot of ways. Um, There are now AI applications in every element of business, in marketing, in finance, in supply chain management. In the last 10 years, AI has gone from being a pretty fringe idea to having a very practical suite of applications. And maybe to share, um, if people are thinking, okay, what's the most practical? McKinsey every year releases a AI adoption report. Um, and in their 2021 AI adoption report, for the first time ever, a majority of the respondents they interviewed said that they had adopted AI. And this includes uh, 57% of the companies they surveyed who are in the developing world space. What this is telling me is that AI is really, adoption is going uh, mainstream worldwide. Um, and the most effective areas of adoption for these uh, companies uh, were in three spaces. Uh, service operations optimization, so customer service uh, operations optimization. Uh, second, AI enhancements of digital products. So this is assuming you already have digital touch points. Uh, you have a mobile app, you have a web app for your customers. You can use AI to enhance, constantly enhance uh, those products with recommendations, rankings. And last, marketing and sales. Um, super powerful and productive if you know who your customers are to be able to use AI to uh, both interact with them or and to uh, predict what they need from you to say better service. So if you are starting in this space, I would encourage you to look at these three areas first uh, and to consider if uh, your first project belongs in any of these spaces. Of course, you could start in another space, right? Uh, but if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking about transformation, um, I really would suggest like looking at digitization, data transformation, then AI. And when you're looking at AI, really think about service operations optimization, AI enhancement of your digital experiences, and then your marketing and sales uh, experiences. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, actually, what you raised is is quite interesting because it, it goes into the direction of what we wanted to do is demystifying AI a little bit. Because as, as you said, AI is at the end of everything. It's not at the beginning. And I also, from, from the research I did, I mean, AI is such a wide or, or under what we understand as AI nowadays, um, every company and every person has a very... There's such a wide concept. I mean, uh, there's there's nowadays almost every product you see being marketed has some sort of AI sticker on it. It's like a, a and 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 I mean, from from AI lawnmower to all kinds of things, which is which is I guess not what it really is. But if we look at this demystifying it and looking at AI as actually. I guess, uh, a more sophisticated form of data analytics at the end of the day. Isn't that what at the end AI really is? It's like, how do I analyze in a more, in a smarter, better way, faster way, the extreme amount of data my company has and my company is generating because of the modern tools we have? Yeah, so let's let's talk about what is uh, this what is AI question, right? AI is algorithmic logic. Um, but I, I based on what you're saying, your understanding of AI, I, I would add one more layer to it, which is that AI is pattern recognition. AI is all about pattern recognition and extending 
that pattern to new data points. Um, to get very specific, we're thinking about uh, when we're thinking about recommendations, right, or ranking and selection or smart searching or image classification, those are all based on models that were trained to recognize previous patterns. And based on that, look at the future. Because they're not logical patterns, they will make logical mistakes. If you show it something it's never seen before, most AI models are not capable of having uh, common sense, right? Uh, sometimes like, you hear this from like, oh, common sense. And AI does not have any common sense. So one really interesting example I have is I was working um, on a few financial data sets and I had talked to somebody who was doing uh, predictions for like a hedge fund. Uh, and he said that he had built this like wonderful model that predicted the stock market's like growth uh, spectacularly well, operated spectacularly well in a growth environment, but completely failed to see that um, uh, the paradigm had shifted into like a recession and like failed to like operated really well when it was only trained on that like growth area and was like predicting on that growth area worked really well when only trained on the recession area and, and like predicting on the recession area really was not able to capture the shift between growth to recession because that had only happened three or four times uh, in the last 20 years. Uh, and so that's not enough data points for the machine to learn. Even though humans have like, logical hypotheses about what could happen if these factors shine through. Another like super specific example is uh, Zillow, the American uh, real estate company. Uh, they had a real estate pricing model that they spent a lot of money on. Um, they spent a lot of money trading a model to predict the prices of American homes they were operating their real estate company based in America. They had um, a very public competition, like a Netflix prize, where they ran a contest to have people predict the prices, build models to predict home prices. They opened all their data sets and they gave a million dollars to uh, the top team uh, that did the best predictions. So, you know, by, by like global standards, this was a fantastic uh, model. Uh, and so Zillow started using the prices that the model predicted for each house to bid and buy houses. And that worked really well until the point that it didn't. It worked really well until the point at which um, house prices started collapsing across the U.S. And then Zillow like lost hundreds of millions uh, of dollars on these homes. Uh, and if you say, well, the model was wrong, it like failed to see something obvious. What I would like to fire back is the AI models are pattern matching models. Uh, it's not a business rule model where you, and you uh, bake in your human insights. It, it's really all about learning patterns that you show it. Um, if you show a kid a lot of cookies and the kid has never seen a fruit before, would a kid recognize a fruit? Probably not. Probably you wouldn't recognize a, a mango when you, you when you put one in front of that kid. Um, so same with AI. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a subset of logical models that are all about pattern recognition. They are super great at optimizing towards um, quantified outcomes, you know, showing people the content they're most likely to click on. They are really fast, really dependable, work really well on tons of data, but um, they are not super great at new patterns, extreme, extreme difficulty with new patterns. And they're not great in situations where you as a human would prefer an auditable logic chain where you want to know why, like a lot of AI models are not so good at why. And one thing that's a little bit counterintuitive to people, people are always asking me, how can I get a 100% accurate AI model? And I have to say, hang on a second, 100% accuracy is actually bad. It means that your model is overfitting to what you've trained it on. It means that in situations where if you have trained a model that's 100% correct on what you're checking it against, a validation set, 
uh, that to me says that it's either not forgiving enough of um, it, it's you're trying to generalize, right? You're not trying to overfit. And so that's something that's a bit counterintuitive to people. So when people need something that's 100% accurate, I always tell them, use a human governor of an automated AI-driven support system. Have the AI make recommendations to the human and like really think about this combination of AI plus uh, machine. And, and that's actually um, a huge theme of, of my work, um, thinking about um, how to use AI to make humans better. I'm going to tell like a very small like last story about uh, how humans uh, and AI can work together really well. Sometimes humans can get caught in these uh, ruts uh, of behavior and, and these like traps of um, this is the way we've done it for many years. This is the best way to do it. I'm going to keep doing it this way. I'm going to train other people to do it this way. AI can spot new patterns within like some defined settings. So a couple of years ago, um, Google trained a bot, uh, an AI model to play Go, uh, this very complex uh, board game, which um, more complex than chess, um, has grandmasters, has known strategies, has known like ways of playing. And Google trained this AI Go playing bot so well that it started beating all the human grandmasters. And it was a huge shock. A couple of years ago, every Go master in the world was like freaking out. Like, is the game of Go over? Are we doomed? Is this it? Are the, are the robots going to like defeat us and eat us for lunch? Uh, that didn't happen. Actually, what happened is that it started this new flowering of new strategies. The Go players learned from watching the bot play Go, and it unlocked new strategies for them that they'd never considered before that were actually super effective. So now the humans are uh, playing a totally different form of Go. Um, and, and I would really argue that Google, by building this Go bot, has like enhanced the human game uh, of Go. That's where I think creativity and human judgment and human, just like the joys and delights of being human, are, are supported uh, by artificial intelligence. No, thank you for that. I mean, that's fascinating. When we go deeper into it, when we say, okay, I am now a, 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 an established company in the Philippines, and you mentioned that at the beginning, that the difference between America and, and Philippines and America, it's a lot of startups and they have this AI idea. So they are, they're starting from an AI concept, whereas here you're starting as an established company and you want to use AI to support your business or to help your business. So how did you go about that? bringing this to the customers or to your first customer? I mean, how did you convince companies in the Philippines? I mean, you have such an amazing uh, group of customers. How did, how did you bring this to them? How did you make, how did you get them on board? I think that um, for the most part, um, we, we work with people who already want to change. Of the executives we worked with, yeah, when starting this startup, I had so many conversations uh, the first year of Thinking Machine's existence. Um, every, basically two, two a day for like a whole year and, and talked to so many people to understand where they were. And um, the desire to change has to come from within an organization. People like me and like teams like mine uh, can only help turn that change into action, but the desire has to still start from them. So in some sense, we weren't as much selling as we were figuring out who had the desire and of everybody who had the desire, did they have enough of the fundamentals in place that it was practical for us to come in? Were they at the right point for us to come in? Because sometimes the answer was no. Um, and, and when the answer was no, I try to be pretty honest about saying like, hey, it looks like you need um, Excel first. You really don't need AI. You really don't need this data transformation. It sounds like you really need to uh, change some of your business processes and digitize them uh, to start with um, talking about those building blocks, right? The building blocks that we were looking for is um, 
working with companies to see, okay, if you are already wanting to make this transformative change in the way you do business, uh, where are you? Do you already have a data dictionary? Do you record data from your business processes and with your customers? Um, are you governing well? Like where do you know where that data is? Do you know how that's being recorded? Do you have a good sense of what you have? Uh, next is, um, are you starting your digital transformation and the shift in both technology and culture to be more mm -hmm. agile about decision-making and using digital channels? And are you thinking about cloud data for your IT infrastructure? Because um, almost every company in the who's, that started like 10, 15 years ago, you started with on-premise servers and on-premise infrastructure. Um, you didn't start with the cloud first. Uh, but like a lot of this AI technology is done much faster, much quicker. Honestly, I think um, it's better done um, on cloud uh, to start with. Um, so sometimes we would work with companies who like had the desire, but uh, weren't uh, on cloud yet. And so we had to say no to that because um, we are thinking machines are cloud uh, first uh, company. Um, having said that with COVID, everybody is now on the cloud because we have to interact with our customers and our customers demand digital experiences. And the best way to get them digital experiences is to touch them through uh, online channels. And that is like mostly these like cloud platform companies. What do you see as the as the trends and development in this space of AI and, and machine learning in the future? Trying to narrow it down to like what's really relevant uh, to this audience, right? Um, again, like not like the tech unicorn uh, chasing audience, but uh, people looking for like pragmatic solutions uh, for themselves and their business. I think uh, there's two things to pay attention to. Um, one is um, the availability of AI via APIs. Meaning you can think about buying uh, in a very practical way instead of building your own AI models. Um, Google, Amazon, um, a lot of the big uh, tech companies have spent billions of dollars on training machine learning models, and they're making the models predictions available for like cents uh, per query. Um, you can have a, instead of building your own like receipt recognition app model that you like train with like millions of data points and you can just connect via API to Amazon Web Services recognition product, give it a picture of a receipt and it will give you back uh, the, the data in it segmented into uh, here's the line item, here's the price, here's like the TIN number, like and, and you can integrate that into the way your company works. So the challenge now really reduces from um, training image recognition models to more about how do you integrate uh, these specific AI applications with your own business process. I think the second big trend to pay attention to is um, regulation of AI. Um, so the last 10 years have been very, very cowboy very wild west everybody has been doing like whatever the heck with ai models and uh facebook is um basically in a completely unregulated way using newsfeed to show us what we want to see the most whether it's good for us or bad for us in the world of uh, machine learning um people um we are we're actually really looking to europe and china as the two places where legislation a lot of this legislation is defined um so um, europe released the gdpr which uh, in the philippines we have actually used the uh, data privacy regulation of, of uh, the European Union as the template for Modeled our own, after it. Yes, our yeah. own uh, national privacy uh, commission's uh, data privacy documents. 
And China has been the most cowboy, if we're talking about like aggressive use of artificial intelligence with like not very much regard for people's uh, privacy. Uh, China is like really aggressive and uh, pushing for AI uh, as, as a source of, I think, like uh, almost like as a political strategic element for them. They are now regulating AI. It's starting, uh, I think, um, March or April this year. Um, they are going to be regulating the use of AI uh, by Chinese companies. Uh, for example, deepfakes have to be tagged as deepfakes. For minors, you're not allowed to show them certain types of recommendation models. And uh, I, I find this to be quite interesting. I, I think everybody should keep their eyes on that space because China is quite pragmatic about how businesses uh, businesses and AI uh, work together. Uh, and so whatever uh, they regulate will probably uh, cascade uh, over to how the rest of the AI industry uh, worldwide uh, is mm-hmm. regulated. So uh, the ways that people are using artificial intelligence right now, I would expect for that to shift dramatically with the legislation over the next three or four years. No, and it, and it makes sense, right? If you if you think about it, like any tool, you you can use it for positive outcomes, but like the deep fakes and others, you can really also manipulate uh, yeah. to, to an extremely large degree. And uh, I mean, no wonder no wonder governments are starting to look into it more carefully and shutting it down. We have today's capability, not only because of the availability of so much data, but of the of the capability of actually crunching all that data in 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 milliseconds. I mean, with without that development and and the cloud and so on, we wouldn't be able to do all of those things. Exactly, um, because the capabilities are now um, spread uh, pretty much uh, worldwide, and the the yeah. startup cost, the startup capital cost, uh, has become uh, quite quite low uh, with uh, with the cloud uh, companies. Um, so this combination of like cloud uh, technology, big data. Uh, opening up and and these techniques being openly shared uh, around the world, that's like all led to um, this like really interesting uh, set of changes. Um, It's still not cheap, uh, but it is no longer limited to just like the top 10 like largest companies in each country. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but but that actually it's a it's a great it's a great segue uh, bringing me to the next um, line of questioning, and I think also the last one, <laughs> which is that what what challenges do you actually see in the industry and and specifically in the Philippines uh, for not only for potential clients but overall in the in the AI industry uh, in the Philippines? Is it is it is it talent? Is it money? Is it the I mean resources as you said are actually available? So how do how do you what do you foresee are the main challenges? Yeah, I think the big challenge for companies is um, thinking about uh, an innovation mindset, Um, thinking about it in terms of how do they uh, keep uh, learning uh, and growing and how do they engage, how do they start to engage with potential partners, potential hires, potential new business models, and how do they keep iterating on that? Um, And it's not so easy and it's not so direct. The line towards progress, it, it doesn't end up being a straight line. It ends up being a bit of a journey where every step you kind of like are moving towards uh, the direction you ha- hope you have in mind. Um, let me give like a few realistic examples, right? Um, so when we worked with um, LBC, we came in and we said, okay, like where can we use AI for LBC? And uh, LBC as a delivery business has thousands of branches, hundreds of thousands of daily customers, millions of transactions a month. We came in thinking, okay, like AI, AI, where's the space for AI? But once we came in, we realized like, wait, they have like an even more fundamental problem than AI. Um, They don't know who their unique customers are because they process millions of transactions a month. They have technically many, many repeat customers every month. Uh, But what they had uh, to match these uh, transactions to customers was a piece of legacy technology 
which took about three weeks to figure out who the unique customers were and could only figure out who the unique customers were for about a quarter of the transactions, which is crazy. If you don't know who your customers are and how often they're transacting with you to start with, you don't have customer journey analytics. You can't do like uh, deeper analytics. Like your AI models are all based on uh, data that's like a little bit like, mm, like really like where, where is this? So um, we came in and uh, we started out by helping them just starting out by deduplicating and figuring out like, all right, let's take all of these millions of transactions and match them to your customers and figure out who your repeat customers are. Uh, so we uh, were able to work very closely with them to replace uh, the piece of legacy technology with something that was able to find uh, to like process 93% of those transactions and match them to uh, unique customers on a daily basis. So now you unlock a lot of value with customer journey. Now you can do personalized recommendations. You can go a lot uh, further into the future. Um, I think a similar, a really interesting story with East West Bank, who um, it's going to be a really exciting uh, conversation uh, uh, with one of the leaders of East West Bank, uh, because we came in, same coming in to think about where's your AI strategy. And then we started talking about data strategy. Uh, and there were multiple chains, uh, these multiple chains of value uh, that we started working on together, where every chain had these incremental uh, steps and improvements. Uh, we worked on like an ATM improvement work stream, a customer AI improvement work stream, uh, where we are helping them to select uh, and build up uh, the right talent from inside and outside their organization as part of this whole transformation. So that's um, that's going to be a really, really exciting uh, conversation with Isabel because it's so real. Um, transformation um, is not just about all of a sudden you have an AI model. It really is about like looking at your data, looking at your data strategy, getting your analytics pieces out there. And it's iterative, right? Like you, you're going to have to take this like one phase at a time, one step at a time. Um, don't get too scared off by um, the way to climb a mountain is by looking at what's right in front of you and taking the next step. Don't look up too much because it's very scary. Uh, but in tr- chunks. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You do it, uh, you do it in, in chunks. Um, I think that's the biggest thing um, to think about because there's so many challenges. It is genuinely very, very difficult to do. Uh, but the return on it is, I think at this point, pretty unquestioned. Um, AI has become a fundamental, practical part of um, the work streams of almost like, um, well, yeah, as McKinsey said, like 56 percent of of, uh, the top companies they surveyed around the world so it is uh, I think a norm and it's here to stay Uh, so the question is more of like when do you begin uh, on your journey when do you begin and yeah and how do you envision where do you begin yeah where do you begin what you just said about don't look at the the tip of the mountain because it it seems uh, way too far away and way too high but I'm sure because it is at the end of the day, looking at your data, understanding your data and extracting even basic value from your data, there, there must be also lower hanging fruits and easier things to achieve. So, yeah, it's it's how do you go about it? Obviously, we will have the Zoom event, um, which, which is going to be super exciting. And hopefully we can go much deeper into actual user cases and, and how you and and also Isabel uh, East West Bank went about it but what are you like uh, as a summary like your main takeaways or or your main yeah yeah your main takeaways out of out of everything you have been doing in, in the last 7 years 8 years in the Philippines with in the AI space absolutely um so three takeaways i would have number one is transformation starts from the heart, right? (laughs) The executive team of a company needs to think about AI and data transformation 
as not something that will happen to them driven by the people who work for them, but something where I hope that they can embrace change themselves because people are so reactive to their leaders and the incentives and the culture of uh, the people running companies. And I hope that I can uh, convince people to learn, have fun learning, but have a creative view of the future of your business as one that involves like digital, as one that involves AI and embracing this like futurist mindset. I hope that it's exciting. I hope that it's something that's new and exciting for executive leaders. Two, I think organizations should definitely think about their data strategy and digital strategy together with their AI strategy. You might not need AI to start or, and you might not need AI for a while, but you will definitely need to get your data and digital strategy uh, together. That's like a pretty no-brainer. And last, I would encourage everybody to think scrappy with talent, get really creative. We in the Philippines, we don't have a lot of uh, data science talent. We don't have a lot of data engineering talent. We don't have a lot of homegrown data professionals. So we have to think pretty scrappy about um, where do we start? How do we leverage solutions that we can buy from cloud companies? talent that we can borrow from um, outside of the Philippines and consulting organizations and talent that we can grow uh, inside of our own organizations because um, I'm a big believer in growth mindset. I think everybody can grow and learn and change and that's part of the journey of being human. So yeah, that's it. And I'm looking forward to talking to Isabel and like really digging deep into East West Bank and a lot of the practical um, pieces of uh, transformation at the MBC event. Yeah, looking forward to that. And and thank you very much for your time and for making the time to talk to us and looking forward to the event on March 28th. Now we move on to my convo with Isabel Jab of East West Bank and how her company started its AI transformation. So running the transformation in East West Bank and giving the experience you gathered doing that, what challenges did you encounter at the beginning and how did you make sure that you got everybody on board to do the transformation you were aiming for? Thanks, Nico, for that question. Um, I think, you know, just to step back a bit on kind of the transformation uh, we were embarking on, um, it really tried to cover multiple aspects. Uh, you know, the first being customer-facing initiatives, the second being internal process digitization. But of course, beyond that, those aspects focused on covering existing and new businesses, as well as many enablers of which data and um, obviously AI for decision-making and enablement is a key aspect, right? So, you know, to get these done, we had to build a dedicated team to help us enable these aspects, uh, both on the short-term and long-term. Now, in terms of the challenges, uh, as you mentioned, we do... I think face similar challenges that maybe larger, more traditional organizations face uh, when undergoing a transformation. The first, of course, is, you know, a key question of where do we start, right? Because obviously transformation is a big buzzword and uh, people want to do it, but, you know, it's always hard to kind of eat a whole elephant, right? So I think one of the things we wanted to think about really was how do we get the ball actually rolling? The second challenge, obviously, that you know, I think many firms face as well as, you know, do we have the right people, right? And, you know, that's not just about the talent who are actually doing the work, but it's also the leadership involvement and buy-in that needs to be there for things to, to also get moving. Um, and lastly, the other challenge, I think, is also being able to get understanding and conviction from the broader organization uh, for scalable change, right? And 
I think, you know, what we've done to do that has obviously been to try to do small projects first, try to get dedicated teams to work on key projects to see early successes. And that has been able to get us, you know, obviously some buy-in for the overall transformation. But I would say that, you know, we have made progress and great strides there, especially thanks to um, obviously Steph's help and Thinking Machine's help. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I know we're going to go into more details when we have the actual Zoom event on the 28th of March. But that being said, which one was the most difficult for you to overcome trying to get the project up and running and convincing everybody that it makes sense to get it done? Yeah, I think one of the main challenges, I suppose, is really, you know, finding the right use case to be able to kind of sell the story of of data and transformation. So I think even you know, working with Steph's team, we kind of did a bit of a kind of trial and error and trying to get a use case that would be relevant, but as well as, um, I guess, something that would be, you know, material and relatable enough for us to to really be able to have it as a key success, right? And on a general level, we actually picked something that was more process-driven versus customer-initiative-driven. But it's also because we try to tie in a lot on the pain points that actually some of our employees face. And we felt that if we started with the employees, kind of they would see the benefit in, you know, digitizing and seeing the benefit of actually creating workflows, right, with the data that we were able to capture, that they would be able to also eventually kind of employ that into other initiatives they would have uh, in the broader bank, right? And so actually our first project is on, for example, ATM optimization, right? I don't think you would find that to be like the most, maybe not the most sexy thing when thinking about data, but actually a lot of processes are involved in optimizing, you know, the cash count for ATMs, looking at reconciliation of transactions that come from ATMs. Um, and a whole other, you know, list of kind of work that is involved with ADMs. And, and we are able to kind of tackle that use case. And that has helped us kind of spin off more projects uh, just from that first kind of pilot that we did. But was this ATM use case really the first one? Or, or did you actually realize that you had a different idea and then you had to you, you figured out that ATM is maybe the better pilot? Because it sounded like you had a, a previous use case you wanted to use, which which didn't work out that well. Was that the case? Well, Stefan, no more, but I think we did juggle like two or three different use cases and see which one like really stuck. We, I know we looked at a customer segmentation, kind of a marketing use case as well. But I think there we needed actually more kind of alignment on what the actual issue was and also what was the immediate need for the segmentation, because that was also being done, I guess, by a, an internal team as well. Maybe Steph also you could add, but I think I remember the segmentation one was where we were kind of stuck in for a bit. Yeah, because um, this is um, a really interesting part of uh, the transformation practice, right? Um, you have to work together, the business and 
uh, the business team and the data team. So in this case, it's not enough to use machine learning to see patterns in your customer data. You have to work pretty closely with the marketing team to develop a level of segmentation that makes sense for their strategy uh, and for the programs that they want to run in the next year. Um, so where we are now is in the middle of this iterative cycle where we've taken a first pass at the data. And now the marketing strategy is going to take the inputs from that uh, design how they want to, uh, who, who their archetypes are. I think taking the data segments and saying like, actually we can't serve as like 50 segments. Like these are the, let's like group these into five buckets. Let's prioritize these two. That's part of what humans can do that AI can't do. You know, we cannot replace human judgment uh, about your target markets, about your strategy. Um, so in this case, like I, uh, I'm super excited because it's um, it's really part of this like process of, step-by-step transformation. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you both for that. I mean, now that you guys are further down in, in, in using AI and, and working with, with Steph's team, with Thinking Machine, what came next? So did you have to create special teams who would interact then with the regular stakeholders or what, what was the next step there to, to make it actually happen without going too deep since we will have that in our Zoom event? I think, well, what's really important is obviously the people aspect of it. Because I think when we actually started the project with the ADMs, uh, we are obviously working with kind of the recon team, but we needed to also bring in the data analytics team or um, in our in our group, it's called the, the business intelligence unit to really look at kind of the methodology of understanding like data to solve problems, creating a project and then being able to implement it, right? And I think at that, uh, that point in time, actually, the BIU team was uh, short-staffed, right? So um, it was a lot on thinking machines to actually develop and execute the solution. And just for the kind of the process owners or the re- reconciliation teams to just adopt it, right? And I think where we are moving towards, uh, you know, later on, Stefan, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but they worked a lot with us also in actually building up the business intelligence unit. So they actually helped in hiring the head. They helped in looking at recruitment strategies in compensation and incentives and how you want to actually build this team. And I think we're in the process now of kind of having sort of this like, you know, like an operate and transfer, a knowledge transfer type of model uh, where they actually offload a lot of kind of what they're doing indeed to the internal teams. So, but we were definitely in a state where we couldn't really initiate things kind of on our own and get the buy-in. And so we had to bring in uh, thinking machines to do that. And we're hoping now that some of the initiation comes internally as well as we get more used to the process. Yeah, uh, uh, something I'd like to emphasize to uh, the podcast listeners is that um Adopting uh, AI and data transformation is not just about adopting technology. It's about changing the people, changing the culture, um, transforming uh, the processes. Uh, it doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, you're not going to fire people on your team, right? But you are inviting them to change the way that they think, to augment them uh, with data, and to bring in new talent that fits well with the company's culture, the company's ways. Um, so um, working together uh, with East West Bank um, to define uh, the technology next steps and the people next steps has been uh, super productive, I think, and uh, the right thing to do for long-term success. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's that's actually highly uh, 
enlightening because there's it's not just about coming and saying, okay, this is the AI and this is what we're going to do. And then there's an outcome. It's actually, as you said, Steph and, and Isabel, is to really help set up the long-term structure to be able to really use data and AI for your company. Please like let my team do some of the legwork here. The uh, stages of, uh, I, I think like the ATM piece is super interesting because we started with trying to find like an AI use case realized that actually you have like a data automation prerequisite, worked on the ATM reconciliation piece, um, really like shortened that process for that team, which freed up their capacity, which allowed us to do the next thing, which is like using AI to predict uh, cash depletion. Uh, and then from there, which is also still like ATM side, right? Uh, and then from there, now looking at the fraud uh, prediction uh, side, and, and this is all like happening on one chain and we're working on the second chain with customer segmentation. And so I think it's an interesting story of um, finding like chains of value and then sort of like stepping, stepping through them um, as we work together. Yeah, sounds good. I think we'll definitely do the the different sub-use cases, I think, for, for ADMs. Because I the evolution was actually pretty interesting. The and then interesting, yeah. and it ended up with an actual platform, right? Which I think is also uh, useful because sometimes you give reports and then people don't use it. So I think we can talk about also now, like pe- they actually use it daily and, and how much volume. It's an actual like working system that they use on a daily basis to actually reconcile the transaction. So before that, I think we'd rely on Actually, sometimes we wouldn't even have the data, right, Steph? Like, we couldn't even read it. That was the state we were in. Like, they couldn't parse, like, the logs because you know how ADMs, they capture so much data. Yeah, so that was, that was really interesting. I do have a question, though, about that. And and it's not, I mean, we, that's most likely that would be a question potentially I would ask during a Zoom. But I, I'm, I'm not familiar with this industry, but I would I would have assumed that the, that the ATM makers actually have already that type of capability and platform and, and, and data consolidation. They don't, they actually don't have this. Well, they have an ability to get the data and do some of the reconciliation work, but a lot of it is always like, reports downloaded, then bashing Excels together. So you can eventually get it, but you you really have to get it very manually. And again, not in a real-time way. It's like an end-of-day report that then you work on the next day. So the problem is that the I guess the, the background is since ATMs are also such an old technology, I think the processes kind of don't really evolve as well, right? So I feel like this Excel system probably was like a 90s solution and just because it works in an SLA that maybe you know customers are used to because all the banks have the same process it doesn't actually get improved over time um so you need something kind of like this to really step back and like look at it with fresh eyes right which i think it's good that that a third party would do that to kind of redo the whole system. So I think that's that's really the benefit. So you actually have to start with these kind of legacy systems because really the innovation there is is kind of non-existent. No, it's fascinating. It, it fascinates me because I'm already coming up with a business idea. I mean, at the end of the day, you guys could actually sell this now to third parties. I mean, to be very honest, because every other bank, at least in the Philippines, if not even worldwide, is suffering of the same problem, having the same challenges. So it's... Um, I mean, East West Bank could now go and say, you know what, guys, we're, we're becoming your data provider for your ATMs. Steph should productize a lot of the stuff that she's actually doing for all her clients, actually. Because when I hear kind of high level from, you know, from Nick, who, who's obviously working uh, with Steph, like, that's everyone's problem. Like, 
you definitely should just like try to like scale that with a product because I think a lot of these issues that people face are like so fundamental that you could really just like deploy that in many firms very easily. Like at least that's my opinion. Great. Thanks, Isabel. Thank you for listening. We hope you like this podcast and will join our March 28 live Zoom event. I would like to thank one more time our sponsor, Accenture Philippines, as well as our producer, Anima Podcast. Without their support, we would not have been able to create this podcast.